0: I find that when people approach the art as a career, some of the artistry quite often gets sacrificed. I'll sound like a complete wanker, but I'm in it for the art, I'm not in it for the money. Mm.
1: Another episode of In the Arts. This podcast is a deep dive into the arts industry where I talk to creative professionals about what they do and why they do it. I am your host, Tani Fosdak, and in this episode, I chat with Chris Becky, an actor, director, and writer who has worked with major theatre companies in Australia over the last three decades and is currently with the amazing Danger Ensemble. We talk about their complicated relationship with the arts, the joys of pop music, and reimagining classics within theatre. I just want to say, if this is your first time plugging into this podcast, I recommend you go back to the beginning of the season, as this episode is a little bit more contemplative, a little bit more low energy, so I recommend easing into it by starting the season a little bit earlier. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening. Hi, Chris, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Tani. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today. Pleasure. It's it's lovely to have you here. Uh, So outside of theatre, what sort of art do you like?
0: Quite a few different art forms. Um, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy visual arts. Um, I don't know if you'd call it art, but I love pop music.
1: Oh, it's definitely art, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, reading, although I don't do enough of it, like the written word.
1: Who are your th- um, favourite
0: pop stars? So, Kate Bush is probably mm. my favourite of all time.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, just in terms of who I've been listening to a lot recently. Uh, I went blank. Uh, I really love Lana Del Rey's Oh, she's amazing. Album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the new album is just phenomenal. I, I haven't listened to opinion. it yet. Yeah, have a listen. It's okay. really quite good. Mm. Um, who else have been we- oh, Perfume Genius. Don't uh,
1: know them. Ah yeah. so
0: Perfume Genius is uh, a, an American act um, queer, really beautiful music. Uh, it started out as really mm-hmm. piano based. has become more, a bit more electro, I guess mm-hmm. um, through time. Uh, and has recently is just releasing some stuff now from mm-hmm. a collaboration with a dance company. Oh, awesome. He's been yeah. involved in.
1: Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I love pop. I um, think it's a bit of a bad rap, I think. <laughs> you know, people think it's, you know, lowbrow, but yeah. always love the um, energy and the, the probably, like, the lyrics the most.
0: Mm. That's, that's always been my buy-in with pop music is mm. very much lyrical content. Yeah, um,
1: definitely.
0: Especially, like, I guess my first buy-in was when I was very young with mm. ABBA. Mm. Um, and then Adam and the Ants. Mm. And then I guess for me the big revelation that got me hooked on pop music was Kate.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: and my buy-in with Kate was very much through her lyrics. Yeah, The music is also amazing mm. but her lyrical content is also phenomenal and quite literary and...
1: Yeah. yeah, it can be great. I love um Marina Diamondis. Yep. Um do you know her? Yeah. Yeah. She's oh she's amazing. I love her and like each of her albums are just so unique. Yeah. Um and kind of really reflect her stages of her life. Good friends with Lana Del Rey as well. Yes, <laughs> this
0: is true. Um also used to be good friends. I don't know where they're at at the moment. Yeah. Um I know they were good friends and then they had a bit of a falling out.
1: Ah, oh, I didn't uh, know. that. it was that.
0: Charlie X E X. Oh. Who's another favourite of mine.
1: Yeah. I, I saw her perform, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I saw Sia in concert, um, you know, two years ago. Sia was awful. Yeah. It was, really? Yeah. <laughs> she just didn't look like she wanted to be there. She she hired a stadium. Um, Hadn't been to Australia in a long time, so they were kind of, you know, it was like a really big deal that she was coming to perform in Australia because she was Australian. She stood at the back of the stage, didn't move. You know, just was, like, holding the microphone to her face, Mm. which is a bit of a disappointment if you're coming, you know, we're standing in the heat for hours and there wasn't a performance there. It was just pure, pure singing.
0: And she has, like, she's very much cultivated that probably since, um, I can't remember the name of the album, but it was the one that she released in 2014 Mm. that had uh, a chandelier on it. Yeah. Very much cultivated that withdrawal from yeah. the performative and... I guess
1: it was quite strange seeing it in concert, though, because, yeah, yeah the Charlie XCX was just, like, a bull full of energy. Yeah. It was, yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. And so as someone who's, like, spectating art rather than creating it, what does it do for you?
0: The best art, the, uh, like, my favourite experiences mm-hmm. are the ones that I find emotionally engaging but also mm-hmm. intellectually engaging. Mm-hmm. Um The ones that stay with me, I guess, are the ones that work on both those levels. Mm -hmm. Emotionally engaging can be great at the time, but I also find that it can be quite a cheap experience. Mm. There are ways to manipulate people's emotions. You look at Disney. They know know how to set up a circumstance that is going to evoke an emotional response. Mm. Um, So I find if I'm just responding on an emotional level, quite often I'll, I'll be affected at the time, but I will not remember the show or the film or whatever. Whereas if it engages me intellectually as well, then it will stay with me. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that's what I I guess what I look for it to do. Yeah. Um, Quite often it does nothing, Mm. which I find really disappointing. Um, it's good
1: to recognise as well because there can be a pressure to, you know, appreciate all art, but sometimes it's just...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: ..just nothing there for you.
0: I think um, one of my favourite experiences from recent times would have been I went and saw... There was a an exhibition of Francis Bacon's work mm-hmm. in Sydney. Mm. I think it was about 2013. And just seeing those works. I've always loved Bacon's work, mm. and but seeing them... In a gallery space, and the vividness of the colours and the the texture of the oil um, was quite phenomenal. Yeah,
1: that's really cool. I really um, that's really profound. That intellectual versus emotional response. I first thing that kind of popped to mind was kind of how the NGV's going at the moment, where they're kind of trying to evoke this raw emotional response through this blockbuster in- exhibitions, but intellectually, there's not been a lot to grab onto mm. for me, at least.
0: And I think, in terms of the way that, uh, I, and heading into speaking with you, um, I had sort of started to think about this: the way that art is kind of traveling at the moment. Or this is my impression. Mm. I'll press for this is my impression. I do live a little bit of a hermity type lifestyle. Um, is very much about the entertainment value. And entertainment quite often comes from emotional response, evoking Mm. emotional response, Um, whether that's like a feel-good or um, I guess uh, maybe a melancholy. We don't ever really go into real deep sadness Mm. um, because that's a little bit too much for entertainment value. We also don't want to evoke anger Mm. because we don't want to make people angry, do we?
1: So, going to more of your background, um, can you remember your first experience or connection with theatre?
0: Um, yes. So, when I was quite young, I grew up in a town in Queensland called Bundaberg,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which is probably about four to six hours' drive north of Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, It used to be a sugar, ca- sugar town, so... Mm. Uh, grew sugar cane, um, and for some reason had a really rich art scene. Mm. Always had and still does. Um, and part of the art scene is an amateur theatre company uh, called, oh, what are they called now? They were the Bundaberg Amateur Players when I was a kid. Then they changed to the Bundaberg Players Incorporated, and I'm not quite sure what they are now. They may still be the Bundaberg players. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was a child, mum used to take me to, they would do a pantomime each year, Christmas time, Mm. um, and pretty standard pantomime fair. And so mum used to take me along to those. That was my first engagement with theatre. Absolutely loved it.
1: And kind of what came first for you? Because I know you've done some playwriting. Um, So what came first? Was it the writing or the acting?
0: Probably in terms of formal structures,
1: Mm.
0: probably the acting.
1: Mm.
0: I Mum enrolled me in speech and drama classes Mm. when I was quite young, and uh, from there I moved into working. So the Bundaberg players had a youth theatre, and I used to be part of that. Uh, The writing was something that came a little less formally, um, in terms of I just started to write. Um, and it's a it, it, funny, funny story. Um, when I was probably about 14 years old and I had started to really indulge my love of pop music. And I used to have these ideas, of, like lyrical ideas. And I was like, I wish someone would write this. Mm. And then there was a little turning point at some point where I went, what's the point of waiting for someone yeah. to write it? Why don't I just <laughs> write it? So I did, and they're totally awful, I'm sure. I don't, yeah. I don't even know if I have them anymore. Um, that then went into writing poetry in my later adolescence and mm-hmm. early 20s. Yeah. Didn't actually write anything for the stage until my late 20s, I don't mm. think.
1: And... In terms of theatre, when did you decide, because you are doing stuff as a teenager, when did you decide that, that this is something I'm going to seriously pursue?
0: Oh, I don't know if I've made that decision yet. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: did, did you have any formal training? Um, did you go to university? So I did.
0: Uh, so I – oh, this could be a long, rambly story. Um, at the end of high school, of course, you have to choose what mm. courses you're going to apply for. Um oh. And through, like, I had a fair bit of pressure from my family mm. to go into a serious career, um, one that was going to pay well. And that was mm. part of my parents' background. Neither of them had been university educated. Mm. They And they felt like they hadn't uh, – no, I'm, I'm speaking for them now. Um, they wanted to ensure that I was well set up to mm. succeed in the world financially, essentially. Um Uh, So there was pressure on me to pursue something that was going to be financially rewarding. Um, But I also really loved theatre and they were moderately supportive of that as well. So they left the choice open to me whether I wanted to pursue something. I had chosen law. I kind of Mm -hmm. gravitated towards law. Whether I was going to study law or go to university and study acting. Mm Mm-hmm. I left it right up until the last minute. I had acting, like, an acting course up first and then law after that. Um, and right at the last minute, I cut the acting out. I decided mm-hmm. that I was just going to go for the law. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the course that I ended up getting into was a double degree, an arts degree and a law degree mm-hmm. at the University of Queensland. Started going to classes, hated the law, was nothing like Rumpole of the Bailey at all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but as part of the arts degree, I'd started doing uh, the drama units mm. offered through the Department of English or what used to be the Department of English at the University of Queensland. and um, was really loving that course. So, I ended up dropping the law and going back into the uh, – staying with the Bachelor of Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, that course wasn't a – I'm pretty sure it still isn't – an actor training course. Mm-hmm. It's There's a really heavy theoretical, mm-hmm. historical emphasis within that course. Um, the virtue of it is that the lecture is obviously all of the theory and then in mm-hmm. – The tutorials at the time that I was going through, we were given two hours to actually explore what that meant Mm. for the practicality of staging works. Mm. But that was without assessment, just so long as we were there. Yeah. That counted towards our marks. So, um, I was loving that course, did that, got through that. Um, In my final year, I ended up – because I kind of stopped doing drama for six months then went back to it and – in that little break, I kind of lost the cohort that I had started going through with yeah. and matched up with a new, a different group of people for when I returned. Um, there are a couple of people in that. Uh, well, there was one person in particular who, uh, and the piece that I came back for, or the course that I came back for, had a performance aspect to it, um, which was a production of The Back Eye directed by um, Adrian Kianander, who left University of Queensland not very long after that and went to University of New England, which is in Armidale in New South Wales. Um, and Adrian, because of the, the uh, how can I put it, the heritage of that piece, the fact mm. that it's an ancient Greek play, um, wanted to pursue a very physical form. Uh, so we were doing lots of movement and... Um, it was a production that involved both undergraduates and honours students. One of the honours students uh, during the season of the show approached me and was like, hey, I'm doing my honours in looking at a Japanese avant-garde dance form called Butoh. Mm. Um, I'm running classes in the form and at the end of those classes we're going to do a bit of a practical showing. Uh, would you be interested in coming along to those? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, that practical showing was kind of the start of a company called Zenzenzo. Um, and at that time in Brisbane, so this is like 1992, 93, um, kind of took off. So I started to get involved in lots of different things. But Yeah. yeah, so there was actually, there was no formal method based, typical actor training, um, from those productions, I started to branch out yeah. and kind of pick stuff up on the job,
1: Oh, lovely. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I know now that you work with the Danger Ensemble, so between then, end of uni, and to now, you're in Melbourne. Yeah. How, how did you, I guess, two decades of work there, how yeah. would you describe that journey?
0: It's almost three, actually. Um, it's been an interesting journey, I guess because I've never really committed to this as a career per se. Mm. Um, and I do have a bit of a love-hate relationship with theatre. So there have been times when I've completely walked away from theatre and yeah. then kind of got reeled back in. Um, I worked with Senzenzo for 10 years solidly. Mm. Uh, then I moved to Wollongong for mm. 8 years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but actually, I moved to Sydney first for a year. During which time... So I arrived in Sydney really burnt out. I'd just done a full Mm. year's work with um, Queensland Theatre Company. I was really burnt out when I hit Sydney. Um, That turned into being completely burnt out. I did a show pretty much as soon as I arrived in Sydney and just interacting with the actors on that show, I was like, if this is what people are like on the Sydney scene, I don't... Yeah. I don't want to do theatre anymore. Yeah. Um...
1: So w- when you talk about love-hate relationship with theatre, what on one hand do you love and what on the other hand do you hate?
0: This is going to sound really bitchy. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so I love the art form. Mm. I absolutely love the art form. Um, I hate – it's going to sound really bad. I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I know, and that's not entirely – completely accurate i do hate Mm. people um i also love people uh i i find that when people approach the art as a career some of the artistry quite often gets sacrificed Mm. um i'll sound like a complete wanker but i'm in it for the art i'm not in it for the money Mm. and uh, what i was noticing in that time in sydney and what i've noticed working with um performance throughout the last however many years. Quite often it can result in lack of being present. Mm-hmm. People are thinking about the next job. Yeah. Who's in the audience as opposed to this is an audience like any other. Mm. I they deserve the same quality of show mm-hmm. as anybody else. Yeah. Um Yeah, I remember an actor on the show in Sydney kind of scanning the audience list for the night to search if there were any oh, agents I, on the list. Oh, wow,
1: yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and for me, when you're working on a show, you have to be present. You have to be present mm. in the show. You have to be present mm. for your fellow performer. And the minute people start thinking like that, you can feel them kind of, they're there, but they're not present with you.
1: It's more yeah. self-seeking in a yeah. way as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you think how you've approached it is that you've kind of had this dance with theatre with your eye on the door sort of relationship?
0: Uh, Not necessarily with my eye on the door. I've danced with theatre and sometimes I've decided to sit out for a while. Sometimes Mm. I've decided to leave the building. Yeah. yeah. When I'm there, I'm there. Just sometimes I, yeah, sit out.
1: Yeah. And and how did um, the Danger Ensemble come to be?
0: So the Danger Ensemble came to be...
1: Uh, Maybe we should describe for people who are listening, who don't know who the Danger Ensemble is, like who you are and what you do as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, (laughs) So the Danger Ensemble was founded in uh, 2007 by Stephen Mitchell-Wright, who's the artistic director of the company. The, to put it in a nutshell, the kind of work that we create is contemporary theatre, With various modes of investigation going on, uh, one of one of the big ones has been what is tragedy now. So yeah, the company was founded in 2007 by Stephen. I didn't. I started working with the company in 2009, um, and kind of formally joined the company in 2012. Mm. Um, We were essentially Brisbane-based. although much of the work, the company's early work was done in collaboration with Amanda Palmer. Yeah, so at first Stephen uh, was touring either solo or with other performers with Amanda. So mm-hmm. I don't think the company was really Brisbane-based until about 2010 or mm-hmm. 11. Yeah, and I guess in, in 2017 uh, we decided at the end of that year to relocate to melbourne
1: um talking about that transition would you better comment on the sort of creative differences between the two cities
0: that's a hard one i can comment on them i can't really like i i sort of dropped earlier on i'm a little bit of a hermit Mm. um and i haven't really ventured outside of the danger ensemble too much since arriving in the city um uh, what
1: about terms in, in um, just within your work, within the Danger Ensemble, um, comparing the work you did over there and here and the, like the reception?
0: Uh, okay. So in terms of the work itself, it's interesting because we've only done two shows since we've mm. been here. Yeah. Uh, we did The Hamlet Apocalypse yeah. last year, which was a remount essentially. Mm. And then um, we did Let Men Tremble this year. Yeah. Uh, in terms of... The Hamlet Apocalypse is kind of its own little thing, mm. uh, just in terms of because we had done the show in 2017 in Brisbane. Yeah, much of the cast was the same. Yeah, um, with the exception of in Brisbane, Caroline Dunphy had played Gertrude, mm-hmm. and then when we moved to Melbourne, Katrina Cornwall played Gertrude. So Katrina, um, formerly Brisbane-based, now um, yeah would be a decade i would imagine that Katrina's been here maybe a little less um melbourne based mm-hmm. and Katrina had worked with the company right from the beginning yeah. um before she relocated to melbourne it had been in many of the original productions of the hamlet apocalypse cuz mm-hmm. it's had a bit of a life um and so she stepped back into gertrude for the melbourne season which yeah. was wonderful no, I've lost my train of thought. What, were, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, in yeah. terms of creative differences. Yeah. So that one was kind of a little bit more insular. Mm. Um, with Let Men Tremble, it was a new work. Yeah. And so, uh, which was great. It was because it was exciting because we could, could actually go, mm. hey, Melbourne people, come and work with us. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like it feels much the same
1: in some ways. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Bunch of actors in the room, yeah, and doing actor things. Yeah, um, it's pretty its much the same wherever you are in terms yeah, of yeah. in terms of the framework that you put mm-hmm. on, around that. Yeah, um, it was great to work with new people. Yeah, uh, but in terms of creative differences, I think maybe we were a little emboldened mm-hmm. um, in terms of the work. Uh, Because, of course, in Brisbane, you try not to, but you do kind of adjust Mm. work to suit the audience. And Mm. Brisbane audiences are wonderful, but they can be a little bit more reactive, Mm -hmm. a little bit more conservative. Yeah. And so we would often balance our choices. Yeah. Um, Okay. Is this going to be too much for our audience? And then you always have, no, it's not, great, keep mm-hmm. it. Yes, it is. Is that okay or do we actually need mm-hmm. to pull it back? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those kind of choices that yeah. you make throughout a process. Um, I guess with this one, because we're not as familiar with Melbourne audiences mm-hmm. and also because we are being in a new place gives you that sense of freedom, a bit of a sense of more playfulness, mm-hmm. um, we were a little bit more irreverent in terms of our choices.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And kind of talking more about those two productions, there's um, Lemon Tremble was commenting on the Scarlet Letter and then Hamlet Accomplips was Hamlet, of course. Yeah. Why are you develop- redeveloping classics?
0: I guess that's something that's always been of interest in terms of kind of going, well, why, what do these works have to say now? Um, It's also there's, in a way, it's a good way to give an audience a hook into a work Mm -hmm. um, in terms of familiarity with Mm. particular stories, particular story Mm. styles. And we don't do productions of those works. There is always an element of questioning the work and pulling at it. Mm. Um, And so, for example, with... Hamlet, you did have the conflict between a production of Hamlet and the outside forces have mm-hmm. exerting pressure on that and breaking that apart. Yeah. Um, with Let Men Tremble, of course, there was a lot more in terms of commenting on the work itself and which came very much from the room in terms of the creative yeah. development process, mm-hmm. in terms of us going, well, why why are we doing this? Yeah. What does this work say? Mm-hmm. Um tailed as being uh, like a, essentially as a feminist piece, uh, like a feminist mm. piece of writing, but mm. it's not. Um, mm. There was a review who actually took us to task on that. And it's like, but it's, they were saying like, you know, it's a very pro woman piece. It's mm. not, it's mm. absolutely not. That's the line that we're sold, but it's not true. Yeah. If you sit down with that work, it's not true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And why do you say that? What What elements of the Scarlet Letter do you believe are unfeminist?
0: Well, in terms of the structure of it, you have uh, it being set up with a female protagonist. Mm. She's complete, kept completely passive. She's not actually the protagonist. The, t- mm. the protagonist and the antagonist are both male, okay? There is t- Hawthorne sort of goes, Hester has all these great ideas. She, she's never, she never acts on them. She's never yeah. given the opportunity to act on them. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah, so – and he never goes into the ideas, so you don't get any kind of – explanation or putting that idea out there. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you're actually silencing her.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I guess because in theatre you see people um, just kind of reproducing plays over and over and it's kind of this idea that the themes in them are timeless. With um, Let Men Tremble, were you kind of saying those themes that we're kind of, you know, recognising over and over are bullshit? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they are. We Mm. are like – It's the tyranny of the past. Um, It's been interesting. It's been a really interesting project for me just in terms of going, well, because this stuff is coming up and it's like... I have in the past been a bit of an advocate for Shakespeare and Shakespeare's Mm -hmm. writing. And I think throughout the past year I've kind of lost that passion. And I am very much starting to question a lot more... um, those works why are we continuing to do these works i know Mm. why at a like a economic level shakespeare Mm. sells well schools have to study it they want to see a production you do a production of hamlet you're going to get schools audiences they pay great yeah yeah um from an artistic point of view that's rubbish and it'd be interesting if you think historically throughout history There was really each historical period. You think about Shakespeare's period. They weren't doing productions of Greek plays. Yeah. They were writing their own Mm. plays. Mm. Um, That continues through. Shakespeare starts to rear his head a bit. Mm. Probably, I think, in the 18th century, they started to redo productions of Shakespearean plays. Um, But at what point we got hooked to this idea of just reproducing the canon. Where yeah. that became the emphasis rather yeah. than the production of new work.
1: Yeah, definitely. But you're also a playwright. Mm-hmm. Um. So you've written a few plays. I've is written. That? Yeah. I've written
0: for the stage. You've
1: written for the stage. I wouldn't yeah. call
0: myself a playwright. Mm. I, I have a like. I have a hesitation about calling myself a playwright because yeah. I look at people who are actually playwrights yeah. and I go, I don't put mm. the effort into my craft mm. that these people do, so I don't feel yeah. like I can call myself a playwright.
1: Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But things you've written for the stage, Mm. what sort of ideas and themes do you pursue?
0: They have mostly been adaptations of classical works. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, so mostly adaptations of classical works. Yeah. I did write – there was one – actually, the first piece that I wrote for the stage was a semi-autobiographical piece. Mm. Um. Which started out in a really weird way. It would, no, it didn't start in a weird way. Um, there, so I... It all comes back to Kate Bush. So uh, <laughs> on Kate's 93 album called The Red Shoes, she wrote a song called The Song of Solomon. Yeah. Um, where she interpo- uh, interpolates bits of that book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, I became obsessed with that book of the Bible and read it. And there are sections in there that actually tied in with um, parts of my own life and autobiography Mm -hmm. um, that I was kind of like, ooh, and the language is beautiful. Mm. And so I was like, I want to perform the Song of Solomon, oh, amazing. but actually yeah. rearrange it to tell my own story.
1: Oh, amazing. Cool. Mm.
0: So I um, I approached a young director to work with me on mm. that. Um, and I did the arrangement of the text. We did a reading of it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Chris, with your – because of the richness of your voice and the richness of the text mm. – it's too much. It's, mm. it's like it's uh, like a diabetes coma essentially. <laughs> um, that's awful to say. I'm sorry. Um,
1: <laughs> Descriptive. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's nothing like a diabetes coma, but it's that overload mm. of richness. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so we had a dinner, and he was like, "Okay, so well, tell me why? Why? What about?" this story ties into your story. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling him all the things that had happened to me mm-hmm. in terms of, and why I had, He was like listening to you talk about it is actually more interesting than hearing you speak it through the song of Solomon. Okay. Yeah. So can you write this? Mm-hmm. And so um, I did. And so it did came, but my approach to it, cause I had only written poetry to that point uh, was to write as a kind of a series of poems mm-hmm. and then we kind of, I linked them together yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases didn't link them together. It was like, okay, yeah. that's, that's where the theater happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from there I started to work on a bit more craft stuff in terms of learning mm-hmm. how to write story for yeah. theater, mm-hmm. um, and move more into doing the adaptations. Yeah, Uh, I think the last one I wrote is quite a while ago. It would have been 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the last piece I wrote. Um, Everything that I I have written since, but it's been more as contributions to Danger Ensemble shows. Um, I've thought about writing again. There's not necessarily been anything much driving me. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the moment, I feel a little bit more drawn back to just writing poetry, which is what I might do. And maybe they will link up. Who knows?
1: And I'd like to hear more of your thoughts about um, the theatre industry in Australia, Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously theatre is very, very old. Australia as a country is quite young. um, It's still finding its feet in the art scene. Do you think it's developing its own distinct character?
0: Um, Well, see, I don't think it is still finding its feet. I Mm -hmm. think it's found its feet. Yeah. Like if you think about the number of Australian works that tour internationally, that tour nationally, Mm -hmm. um, I think we've found our feet. Yeah. Um, I think we have to stop crying that we're still developing because it's still developing as an art form in every country.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think there's a lack of confidence there then?
0: Potentially. Yeah. I think that's an Australian thing. Yeah. We generally lack confidence. I'm just trying to... F- uh, in terms you- of distinct theatre character, yeah. I think yes and no. There's so much mimicry that goes on mm. in terms of imitating what has um, been successful on the West End and on Broadway. And I guess you'll always get that. But there are, like, people who are... There are like a lot of original works as well that are happening. Um, we tend to be a very physical culture. It's exemplified by the fact that the success of circus, dance, mm. um, and physical theatre within Australia, uh, and the success of the kind uh, of speak, the success of those shows in the international market.
1: Yeah. And what sort of um, direction do you think it's heading? Where would you like to see it go?
0: Uh, I would love to see uh, a lot more Indigenous voices in the, the theatre scene mm-hmm. and an encouragement of those voices to tell stories the way that they gravitate towards yeah. the telling. I feel mm. like there's a lot of this is how you tell a story. It's mm. a very Western model. Yeah. But I don't think it's always the best model. Yeah. I, 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 I actually have a bit of a – I'm not a big fan of stories. When people say acting is storytelling, part of me like really tenses up Mm -hmm. um, and gets quite resentful of that. Um, And uh, some people have said to me like, you know, it's storytelling. It's like what you're thinking about is storytelling. It's still storytelling, but it's just in a different way. It's like, Mm. well, no, it's not. Yeah, narrative structures to me, and I think like it's something that I said in Let Men Tremble, they work on exclusion. They work on like a very binary perspective. Mm. And there are other ways to tell stories, I guess. Yes. yes. Yeah. There are other ways to express without going into a narrative structure, which yeah. I'm not a big fan of. And it was, it was interesting. If I look at all of my written work, there is always – I never just tell a story. Mm. There's always another story running alongside it, which mm. competes with it, or multiple stories, or – um and in terms of the Danger Ensemble's own mm. work, quite often we will break narratives or contradict narrative. Yeah.
1: Do you think that comes from writing poetry as well? That yeah. sort of alternative structure Yeah. that's more abstract than Definitely. a narrative? Definitely.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I guess for me, like, because part of what I studied in my arts degree was literature as well. Mm. And um, I did a whole subject on modernism and the way that they start to break narrative and the way that narratives were used um, was really inspiring for me at that point um, when I was in my early 20s. Yeah.
1: And I guess kind of like um, throughout working in theatre, what has been the importance for you in finding um, good colleagues, peers or um, mentoring younger actors? What what has been the importance for you in that
0: Finding good colleagues, Mm. absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. Particularly um, because the kind of work that I was doing in um, Brisbane in my early career was quite niche, or we were, you know, in some ways quite niche. Finding good colleagues as a support mechanism was really essential. And because a lot of the work that I've done has been based on an ensemble uh, mode rather than, individual um yeah you need good colleagues to make that work successfully yeah in terms of mentors mentors has always been a hard one for me i guess mm. um just in terms of the older artists who have worked in these kind of forms always felt a little bit out of reach particularly mm. from brisbane um and you know in the in those days the, the 90s and the early 2000s the, the internet wasn't the thing that it was today that mm. it is today um and so they just felt that little bit more out of reach that little bit more inaccessible yeah. yeah um yeah so it's kind of been that process of you kind of mentor yourself yeah and i guess in that regard i have always felt a little bit of an obligation Isn't It not not a A self-produced obligation, I guess, um, to mentor young artists um, and to be accessible in that regard.
1: Yeah. And what sort of advice do you offer young artists that are kind of starting starting out in
0: theatre? I guess... So I'm not... I guess I'm not really good at advising, um, I guess, to look at the ways that they can make their work sustainable in terms of funding, Mm. partnering philanthropy, that kind of thing.
1: Mm.
0: Um, although that said, I advise them to do that. I can't, I don't really have the background in that to yeah. be like, I'll go here and look at yeah. that. Mm. yeah, To not be afraid, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I guess, encourage them to work out what it is. What What are they doing? What are they, mm. is it that they want to to move to Hollywood and make movies. Yeah. Um, is it that they want to make theatre? Um, not that those two are completely exclusive, mm. but to, to really hone that passion, Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm terrible at advice.
1: <laughs> um, and just to, to finish off, what, what can we see from you in the next 12 months?
0: There are no plans. So, um, it's
1: always good. It's, yeah,
0: yeah, and, like, Let Men Tremble was a big show. Yeah. And ended up feeling quite exhausted after it, so yeah. it's been nice. And, like, I did actually have a couple of um, pieces lined up after that, which I withdrew from um, just because when I withdrew from well in advance because I was, like, I could feel how the rehearsal process was going and I was, like, and it was quite soon after that man yeah. trembles. Finished, and I like "Look, I, I can tell you right now that I'm not going to yeah. have a lot left after the show, so I will have to withdraw." Yeah. So it's been nice to have a break, and I haven't even felt like I haven't felt like even being sitting in a theater and watching a show. Um, I'm going to go and see a show next weekend. That's going to be the first show I'll we'll see after. Yeah. And I've been feeling a little bit more like writing at the moment rather yeah. than being in rehearsal or in development. Yeah. So who knows? Something might happen in the next 12 months. Something might not. I'm comfortable either way.
1: That's a good place to be in. Yeah. Rather than having the self-induced pressure to continuously push stuff out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was uh, like there was a – there's a quote I always remember. It was – the Bundaberg players always used to put out Mm. a little newsletter – typewritten on mm. full because we used to do full-scap back in those <laughs> days. Um, and there's a quote on one of those that I, has always stuck with me. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit of a mantra, I guess, for me, or a little bit of a guiding principle. The quote was, love the theatre in you, not you in the theatre. That's lovely. And that's, that's, I guess, a guider for me in terms of I don't actually – always feel the need to be on stage. Mm. Um, I love the theatre. I love, yeah, I don't necessarily need to be in the centre of it all the time.
1: Thank you so much for plugging in and listening to my little podcast today. If you want to hear more of In The Arts, episodes are on all podcast apps, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Wherever you find your podcast, it will be there. Admittedly, though, this is a bit of an experiment for me. I have no performance or public speaking experience. um, So I'm coming to this very green so it would mean the world to me if you could let me know if you are listening and enjoying the show you can do so by subscribing on one of those podcast apps you can leave a review which would be lovely or you could even just do something like popping a screenshot of the episode in your instagram story you can tag me my instagram is tan super dry like the beer han super dry i'll pop this all in the show notes again thanks for listening